In the name of Jesus, amen. The book of Revelation is not a book of terror, but it is a book of the most profound and extreme comfort for the Christian. Revelation is, I would argue, one of the most comforting books of all the Bible, if not the most comforting. And I would also argue that chapter 7 is one of the most comforting chapters in all of the Bible. And that verses 9 through 17 are the most comforting verses in all of the Bible. Uh, So my job to you today is to prove this to you, to show you that this is the case. Uh, Before getting to chapter 7, I want to review a few things about the context and what's happening when the book of Revelation is being written by the Apostle John. Uh, St. John is the last living apostle. He is in his old age. He's on the island of Patmos uh, because of religious persecution and persecution specifically against Christians. Uh, There's a great persecution happening. Christians were at that time being beheaded. They were being burned alive, boiled in oil, skinned alive, tortured crucified, crucified upside down, so on and so forth, with gruesome and horrifying deaths. All of this was happening. And it looks like the church is being destroyed, like the devil is just absolutely wiping out every last Christian alive as if it's over. Then the book of Revelation is Jesus giving the apostle John a glimpse into what he sees into the spiritual side of things. Now, even more, before chapter 7, we have the preceding six chapters. And in this vision, John had seen already really bad things. He saw the horrors of suffering, uh, not just locally, but around the world, despair and darkness. He saw famine, he saw sickness, he saw disease, he saw war and bloodshed, all these sort of things. And then now we get to chapter 7. And in the midst of, of all of this awful stuff, Jesus gives John another vision in the midst of it. And this time, John sees a host arrayed in white, with palms in their hands, singing with endless praise to the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And an angel, that is an an elder, uh, that's an angel, asks him, he said, Who are these who are clothed in white robes and where have they come from? And then John says, You know. And then the angel then answers and he says this. So the angel was drawing this out, setting this up for him to tell him what this was, what he's saying. And, And the angel then says, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There are uh, theological debates as to what John is seeing here in this chapter, in, in that specific moment. What is he seeing? There's not a debate as to who he's seeing. 
Uh, all sides agree that John is seeing the saints in heaven. These are Christians who have been baptized, been fed the very body and blood of Christ, who have been saved from this veil of tears, and they're before the face of God. Everyone agrees that that's what he's seeing. The debate is this. The question is, when is he seeing this? In other words, <clears throat> is John seeing heaven on the final day, the very last day of the world, what it's going to be like, a picture there? Or is John seeing heaven right at that moment, in real time, live? Uh, that's, the, that's the question, that's the debate. Well, um, I think the angel tells us what's going on here. The angel quite literally says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. The, the word uh, coming out there in Greek is erkomenoi, which is a present participle, meaning coming out right now as we speak. At this very moment, as I'm telling you these words, there are some that are coming out of the great tribulation and entering heaven right then and there. And so what we think is happening is this, is that God is lifting the veil from John's eyes so that he can see what our eyes cannot see. He sees a glimpse into the spiritual reality, into heaven at that moment, live. And at that moment, he sees the current state of heaven and he sees heaven in real time. And previously, John heard all of the names of the elect, and, and, and we heard this earlier in chapter 7, but now uh, John is seeing the elect stream in to heaven. So they were sealed from before the foundation of the world, and then here in chapter 7, he sees them coming in one by one and joining that great choir, that great crowd uh, praising God. That heaven there for him as he watches is growing by the minute. The choir is getting bigger and sounding louder and louder as time goes on. And the angel then says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Remember, uh, John was the youngest of the apostles. He outlived all the others. He was the bishop over all of the churches in Asia. Uh, he was exiled to Patmos. John saw all of the saints in his churches. He, he met them. He went around and spoke to them. He wrote letters to them. Uh, these members of these churches were dear Christians that he knew and he loved. And he also saw them not only come into the church, but he saw them forcibly removed from the church and put to death. And uh, he saw them screaming and dying in puddles of blood, all at the hands of evil, satanic men. And then he saw mothers and fathers and children whom he baptized. He saw them tortured and murdered for confessing the name of Christ. That is what John saw on this side of heaven. Christians weeping and screaming and leaving and being shut up and tortured and dying. And now in chapter 7, he sees it from the other side of heaven. He sees what heaven sees, and he sees those same people, those men, those women, those fathers, those uh, mothers, those children, dying in seeming defeat. And then on the other side of it, he sees them entering the courts of heaven with thanksgiving and praise in their mouth. 
This is amazing. Their bodies died, and yet their souls continued praising the Lord. That nothing, no weapon could, could shut them up or take away their joy. That's what we're seeing here. He sees them alive, singing unscathed with the victor's palm with Jesus. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, is that the angel says that they are coming out of the great tribulation. What is that? The great tribulation, the great trouble, the great affliction is what he calls it. The angel doesn't say, he doesn't define it, he doesn't say it's some particular trouble or or difficulty. He doesn't say, look, well, they're coming out of what, what we call the Roman persecution, which was very sharp and fierce in that day, or they're coming out of some Muslim attack or political tyranny or some cancer or poverty or whatever it might be in this life. He doesn't say that. He simply says they, plural, are coming out of the singular great tribulation, all of them. And it applies to all of the ones that are going into heaven. And we know that not all of the saints who died in that day died a martyr's death. Not all of them were oppressed. A lot of them were, but not all of them. Some did. Some died of old age. Some died of sickness. Some died of an accident. Some died of many different uh, reasons. And mixed with that are those who were died under persecution, martyrdom. And yet, the angel still applies to all of them. He says, they are coming out of the great tribulation. So what is it? The Great Tribulation isn't something that happened once at one point in time to a specific group of people or Christians. The Great Tribulation is not something that will happen in time to a specific group of people in the future. It's not applicable to some Christians, but all Christians in the past and the future, all of them. So what is the great tribulation? The great affliction, the great trouble, the great tribulation is this life. That is what he's referring to. From from our point of view, everything in this life Wars and school shootings and deaths and bad diagnoses and pain and strife and division and family and tears and uh, wounds and all these sort of things. We look at this and we say, what? Well, that's life. It's normal. That's how life goes. You, you fail. Things die. Nothing lasts forever. Well, that's just life. That's how it goes. But from heaven's point of view, this life is very, very bad. It is awful. From their point of view, from what they are experiencing compared to what we are experiencing from day to day, they say, that is a great tribulation. That is awful, what you guys are going through. The, just, I, I just want you to pause here and consider what is happening around us, even among us, even in us at the very moment. The amount of sin and wickedness happening at every moment is unfathomable. We, we just cannot comprehend it. There's no word to explain what's going on. How many lies, how, many, how much gossip and slander and vicious rumors are being spread 
right now, in this very second. We can't even put a number on it. How many marriages are falling apart, are being torn at the seams? How much fornication and adultery is occurring right this very moment? How many people are fighting with each other and cursing at one another and holding grudges against one another in their hearts and cursing and swearing and using satanic arts right now? How many people are dying? How much violence is there? How much bloodshed is happening? How many wars are happening? How many mothers Mothers are doing the most demonic thing and murdering their own infants in their own wombs right now. How much corruption and filth and greed is happening in our own jobs and our workplaces, in our own schools and institutions and our government? If we could just lift up the covers and see what was going on behind the scenes, we would be mortified. We, could, we wouldn't be able to believe it. You cannot begin to comprehend it. And then we, we are surrounded by every sort of temptation left and right. We are tempted to break every single commandment. Every single one of the Ten Commandments we are tempted to break constantly without end in this life. We are attacked over and over again. Not one minute comes that you don't have rest, that, that, that you, sorry, that you have rest from this attack. If you keep one commandment, well, then you're attempted to break another commandment. And then you keep this commandment at this moment, then what happens the next moment? And so on and so forth. You and I have to fight and we struggle and we labor just to keep the commandments for a particular moment. And soon after we fail, we give up, we just give in to it. How often have you lost your temper? How often have you screamed and shouted and cursed? How many times have you doubted God and his clear, plain word? How many times have you lusted and coveted and been unhappy? Just this week alone. We're not only surrounded by the sin from others, but we are surrounded and filled with our own sin. And the real problem is not the sin out there, but the sin in here, in me. Because that's the thing that's going to affect you forever. The sin out there will affect you temporarily for a time, but this sin will affect you forever. That is the bigger problem. We have so many problems in our own head and in our own heart and our soul. If you truly know what God requires and you truly try to keep what he says, you will see how weak and sinful you are. You try, you fail, you sin, you fall into guilt and shame, you repent, you receive forgiveness, and then later you fall back into the same sin. And it goes on and on and on your entire life till your final breath like a dog returning to its own vomit over and over again. This is a constant cycle of temptation, of sin, of guilt, shame, repentance, forgiveness, and falling back again. And it is incredibly, incredibly frustrating. It is incredibly unnerving for us. I know, I know people who say and think 
look, pastor, that is life. And that's how life goes. And you either learn it now or, or you, you, you never will. You sin, you repent, you live, you die. Uh, that's how it goes. And from our point of view, yes, that is our life. That's just how things go. But what they call these days, all of these days in heaven, what they refer to them as is the great tribulation. Not a minor inconvenience, not a tough ordeal, not just some difficult days sprinkled in here and there, but the great tribulation. The life that we are living is really, really hard. We're used to it, I suppose, but it is exhausting. It's incredibly tiring. And so the Christian faith is not one of a sprint, but a marathon. Not giving up. The righteous man falls six times, but he gets up again. Again and again and again. And this is the tribulation that the saints of God in heaven have left. That tribulation is behind them. What we go through now is what is far beyond, uh, be behind them in their history, in their past. God will save you from this. He will save you from this great tribulation of this life. The third thing I want you to consider in these words is when the angel says they are coming out of the great tribulation and after they have come out of that tribulation, they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Now, the way I used to read these words and this phrase was something like this, that they washed their robes at some point in the past of their life, and that is why they are now coming into heaven and leaving the great tribulation. Uh, so that they washed their robes at one point, and then that is their access then into heaven. Uh, the forgiveness of sins is the cause of them going to heaven. Now, this is 100% completely and entirely true. That the reason anyone is in heaven is there because of the forgiveness of sins, full and free, made by the full satisfaction of Christ on his cross. That's what's happening. And that's true. But, that is not what this verse is saying. That's not how it said it. You have to pay very careful attention. This is an aorist verb. It's not a pluperfect, meaning the text doesn't say they had washed their robes at some point in the past, and then now they're coming into heaven. It says they come into heaven, and then they have their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. So that it's sequential, that they come into heaven, and then this thing happens. <clears throat> They come out of the great tribulation, and then the robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. So what is going on here? This cannot be a reference to the forgiveness of sins, because they would have had to have already received the forgiveness of sins before they died sometime in the past. So this is referring to something different. This washing of their robes in the blood of the Lamb in heaven is not a reference to the forgiveness of sins but a reference to the removal, the complete and full and final removal of all of their sins forever. If you've been here more than one Sunday or heard more than one of my sermons already, you know that not one Sunday goes by where I do not preach the forgiveness of sins in Christ alone. 
I cannot do it. I refuse to do it. The, the vicarious atonement, the forgiveness of sins in Christ is the chief thing. That is the main thing. The, even the hymns that, we, that, that I pick are solid, strong, and they have to preach about Christ and Him crucified and be clear about that and the benefits of His forgiveness. I, I know I've failed in a lot of ways as a pastor, and there are things I need to improve on constantly, but I can say with the utmost certainty and confidence that not one Sunday has gone by that I have not preached to you Christ and Him crucified. It's not just because you need to hear it, but I need to hear it every week. It is the most important thing in the world. I will never minimize or diminish the forgiveness of sins through the precious and holy blood of Christ, ever. I will never diminish this. And yet, there is a thing that is actually better than the forgiveness of sins which is the removal of them. We saints on earth need forgiveness every day, but the saints in heaven do not because they don't sin anymore. They're not tempted anymore. They're not in anguish. They're not coveting. They're not unhappy with anything anymore. We have the purity and the righteousness of Christ by faith, and they have it by sight. They don't have, the saints in heaven don't have to believe anymore. They don't need to have faith or hope or belief or trust anymore. They have Jesus. They see him. They don't have to believe in Jesus. They see him with their own eyes. And we too will see him when we close our eyes in death. And that when that day comes for the first time in our life, that day will come when we won't be tempted and we won't sin. That will be the first moment in our life when we don't feel an ounce, not even an ounce of guilt or shame. We won't feel any unhappiness or any sadness anymore, ever. That day will be the last day of our repenting, of That will be the last time and the last, the end of our confession and absolution, the end of our falling on our knees and saying, I am a poor, miserable sinner. We we won't have to say that anymore. That will be the last day of our anxiety and our addiction and our worry and our frustration and panic, our fretting, our depression, our melancholy, all of it. Because you will not be only declared righteous. You will be righteous. That is our hope. That is our certainty, our assurance in Christ. Now, I want to say a few things before closing. Just two brief things here. Our saints, our loved ones who have died in the faith in Christ... They now have this, all of it. All of what Revelation 7 says, they now have. They have what we long for and yearn for. They are with Jesus. I I know All Saints Day is, is hard for us because we're happy for them. Um... 
But we're also sad because we miss them and we love them. But they don't live in our hearts and our memories. They live. They are alive right now, praising the Lord Jesus himself. They're with him. They died, but they are not dead. They live there with Jesus. They are safe. They have it far better than we do. And they're waiting. And they love you. And the second thing is this. That you just hang on. You hang on for a little bit longer. A little bit more. And Jesus, too, will bring you out of this great tribulation. Don't worry about tomorrow. You put one foot in front of the other. You don't grow weary or faint. Now, now is not the time to lose hope or to feel sorry for yourself or get all whiny and complain about how hard and difficult life is. You take one day at a time. You've, you, all of you, you've only got a few days left. You only have a few more days. And you will see all of what Jesus said. All of your troubles will be past, and your griefs will be gone forever. When you breathe your last and you close your eyes in death and you get to heaven's gates, these years, these decades of life, this half a century of life, this century of life will seem like nothing. This entire life of grief and sadness will be a minute compared to the eternal life you have in Christ. It is only a little, a little while longer and you will have what they now have. And soon, the Jesus who came to die for you, to forgive all your sins through his bitter suffering and death, who freely and fully made you his own, who baptized you and washed away all your sins in a flood of his blood, who gave you his very body and blood to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of sins, to strengthen your faith until life everlasting, who forgave you. He will come again and he will rescue you from this veil of tears and he will take you out of this great tribulation and end it once and for all. And you will have joy beyond measure. I'm just going to close with the words of the text. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. And they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them by day, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.